Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. we're live oh we're live we're live <laughs> i knew we were live i just did that on purpose i just like the you know it's the dramatic pause it's dead air it's dead air i'm like dead air and the sound of breathing <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why I, I have like a looping breathing track so when i go to sleep at night I just have you it's the sound of breathing. Yeah, it's just yeah. I have uh, I have one of those uh, sleeping tracks that are like the four hundred and uh, not the five hundred twenty hertz, but it's just somebody breathing. That's all it is. At, yeah. at five hundred twenty hertz. But I've got these like uh, these fake hands that put pressure on my shoulder, and I put the breathing in one ear, and I pretend it's uh, Biden behind me. Oh, so. nice. This are fake hands. That's just your doll. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you got a blow up doll. Okay. I'm lying. Blow- I'm lying. Sure. Biden. He's right? Biden. Biden. All right. <laughs> anyway, folks, it's roguenews.com. I am the gorilla. He is the CJ, and we have the cowboy here. Uh, it's Thursday, market recaps, global news, everything else that we want to cover. Uh, check us out, roguenews.com. And if you want to get a hold of Cowboy, he is lurking. He's one of the lurkers that are in the Discord. He's lurking in there somewhere. You can catch him there. Great, awesome community at the Rogue News Discord. And if you need to get in there, you got to email the one and only El Cuco himself. Email him, cj at roguenews.com cj at roguenews.com and there you see cowboy dancing as a young lad and as a grown adult there he is that's him as a boy there you guess who moves there buddy and cj if you bring up the uh the gif of cowboy dancing as a grown man and his uh what is he there he is see look at he's uh he's uh shaking his uh you know honky tonk badunkadunk yeah (laughs) (laughs) there is that is our crypto cowboy Uh, the sicilian slide right into that ass Hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> the, the Sicilian scallion. <laughs> anyway, folks, uh, thank you all for joining us again. And check out our paid sponsors, mycbdedibles.com, mycbdedibles.com. For all your CBD edible goodness, mycbdedibles.com. And also check out NeuroTracker X. Uh, I got to give you a, a, a code so you guys can use it. Uh, it goes to support our... Uh, our uh, our our cells and uh, great great program there. Get the CBD and then get the NeuroTracker. You have a double whammy. I mean, why not? Why not? Yeah, I've used both products. <clears throat> I had a uh, a year's uh, subscription to NeuroTracker. I liked it. It's good stuff. Hell yeah, man! And of course, you know, I still I've been using CJ's uh, CBD for quite some time. It's also good stuff. It, it, it's the reason why Thanks, you're bro. able to shake your groove thing. That's right. That's right. You know. His knees, his knees, he needs it for his knees. He needs it for his <laughs> knees and for his hips. You know, his cowboy hips. So I got I got knees and I got needs. 
There you go, brother. Well, it's it's Thursday, guys. Cowboy, where do you want to take us, man? Market recap, lots of crap going on. Where do you want to start? You want to start with the crap or the, or the markets? What do you want to do? Oh, well, I, I you know what? <clears throat> Last week, we had <laughs> My like My feelings! A, Supply like, yeah, yeah. demand! This is from Softy Smith. He put it on uh, on uh, Discord. And this mm-hmm. is like the progressives version of like economic study. It is. <laughs> Well, this awesome. is exactly what AOC learned when she went to Boston University and got an economics degree. This is what she was using, you know, and this is why that that you know she's convinced that you need to, you know, take control of the uh, of the of the uh, of the means of production. So this way, your your feelings are, are going to be fine, and the hell with supply and demand, price and quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, of what AOC was using, there's also you know Kamala Harris actually uh, just came out with her new book. Well, what is it? And so it talks yeah, about what she uses. Harris, the art of the Neil. Yes. Yeah, yes. So this is, this this is, is a... you know her story. Wow. <laughs> the art of the Neil. It's amazing. With yeah, Cory Booker. Is... Cory Booker's writing the forward on this one. It should have been. Right. It should have been Montel Williams should have wrote the forward. He should have wrote the the the, the forward for this book, Pharrell. Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, he would definitely um, come across that any day. So, um, so looking at like okay, so there's been a lot of news. I'll just flash to a couple of quick headlines without the need to like d- delve deep into them. This first one, as a matter of fact, is a premium article, so I don't even have the data for it. But what I can tell you here is, if you just look at the headline. The next few articles I show are going to be talking about and what the main thing we're covering. And I actually forgot to ask, you know, CJ said, hey, what's the title for the show today? And I missed that text. So I was like, it's called We're Fucked. That's the title. Well, (laughs) one of the things that we've been talking about is how uh, and, you know, V, you brought this up and everything that we're looking at seems to be slowly unfolding towards the eventuality that the euro is going to get gobbled up by the I, I don't know what the hell I'm, I'm just a guy that works at Burger King. I have no idea what I'm doing. You work at Banana King. I do. I work, I work yeah. at Banana Republic. <laughs> who, who was it in uh, in the chat that said, it's a Banana Republic if you can keep it? It's a Banana Republic if you can keep it. I don't know who it was. It's perfect. That was so good. <laughs> what, sir, what type of government have you decided? Madam, it's... <laughs> It's a banana republic if you can keep it. <laughs> can you imagine Benjamin Franklin saying that? God, man, our founding fathers are like turning in the grave, brother. I swear. Oh, they're spinning. The founding fathers are spinning so much in the grave that if you just attached a magnet and a uh, copper coil, you could power all the world and the energy crisis oh, would go away. It would. It would. Um, you know, and that's like, look, here's the thing about it. So the Fed's raising interest rates. We know that. Um, we're seeing some cracks. The Bank of Japan, I think, was the first to intervene. Then we had that news coming from the, the BOE, the Bank of England, uh, where their bond market, their gilts were falling apart. And a lot of people, one of the things I want to do today is to dispel some language, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll get into dispelling the language. But a gilt, a G-I-L-T, is just basically a bond. It's a government bond. Um, you know, So government bonds are what are considered to be, quote, unquote, like very low risk investment. Some people say no risk, but I don't like that term. Um, But essentially what it is, is that you are lending money to the government for a yield. And that yield is the percent that they pay you, right? 
So, you know, that's basically how the bond market works as far as sovereign bonds. And then there's corporate bonds. Um, you know, that's the, that that's corporate paper. And I think personally, the corporate paper is maybe the fuse or it might just be the bomb that goes off and the fuse might be just all the BS that that's going on. Um, the corporate bond market is scary, but the point here is that, okay, so as we raise the rate here at the fed, the United States is a unique country and there's a great article, uh, Arthur Hayes. So he, Arthur Hayes basically is like Bitmax. Like he, you know, started around Bitmax. He's kind of a legend. Um, and this guy always gives it to you straight. And I'm going to go a little into his article today, but, um, Arthur Hayes is pointing out that, America, in particular, the United States, our geography, much like Russia and to a much lesser degree, China, um, we're pretty independent. Like we have we can make our own food. We have our own energy. We have all of our own resources. Um, China is a little short on resources in a certain way, although, you know, they're working with Russia. So as long as those agreements hold, then China and Russia will be fine. But in a sense, one of the things that's destroying the economy, one of the things that's causing the inflation, one of the things that's causing all of the problems that we're seeing today is energy policy. Because energy is the primary input into everything. And the Bank of England recently had to spackle up some cracks, right? So mm-hmm. all the central banks in the world were going towards, okay, we're going to do quantitative tightening. We're going to raise our interest rates. We're going to stave off inflation. And they're paying all this big lip service towards it. The Bank of England was actually first amongst the five major private central banks, the five being the Fed, the Bank of England, Bank of Japan. Um, oh, who does he name? The the uh, PBOC, the China mm-hmm. China's bank. Yeah. Um, and the last one is the ECB, right? Those are your five major central banks. And they all at the same time are saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to type things up. Now, one of the problems here is that the bond market cracked because of the way that the bond market was being funded. And in particular, the pensions, we, we covered this last week, so I'm not going to go too far into it, but long story short, it's like, it's a lot of these this move towards ESG, right? So we're talking about energy policy being a lot of the reason that stuff is going to pot right now in the bond market. So ESG is BSG. It's BS. It's bullshit. It's and and to make this and again, there's this could be a whole show in and of itself. But what you're doing is you're paying companies for something other than performance. Your ESG is designed to make financial conditions easier for companies that will go along with this woke narrative when it comes to, you know, hiring marginalized people regardless of their skill set um, over non-marginalized people of the energy thing of buying carbon credits or creating carbon credits and all these things that really mean nothing when it comes to performance. Correct. And when you make financial conditions easier, that is effectively a payday. And look, this is this is just such a simple concept. We've seen it in, in so many different ways. But when you pay somebody for anything besides performance, the performance suffers. You know, that's it's that simple because then your standard of living, at least temporarily, doesn't change. So why would you work harder? You're gonna work not as hard. There are very few people who are going to see that opportunity and use that extra money to perform better. It's, and over time, it's just not going to happen because especially with large companies, 
everything kind of goes towards the path of least resistance when it comes to income. All the energy spent towards performance can be spent elsewhere. A lot of times it'll be for greed. You'll have, uh, you know, um, your board members raising their salary just because they can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's so many, so many reasons, but, but ESG basically fails because it's, it's just a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. The only green energy that's really uh, fundamentally going to improve things is going to be nuclear. The rest of it is low energy density. It's hard to maintain your, your EVs, your wind, your solar, all that stuff. For one thing, the energy it produces is very low density, right? You're not getting much energy for the uh, amount of work that you put in and the amount of, um, we'll even just use the term real estate. If you have like the amount of land that like solar and wind can cover, the amount of energy that comes out of that is extremely low um, compared to say like nuclear or coal or hydrocarbons or anything. The other issue is that your vehicles, like your EV and all that, uh, those batteries, they, they don't last more than, I don't know, 10, 20 years. I, I don't Not know the, the shelf life. No, it's it, you'd be lucky to get 10 years out of it. You'd be lucky. Lu- and you and every time you charge it, you're diminishing weird. the, the capacity of that, of that battery. It's just the way it goes, you know? Yeah. It's, and, and you know, so the thing about ESG is okay. Like I'm okay. Fine. Hydrocarbons they're Yes. They're toxic to pull out of the ground. Arguably they cause pollution. Certainly they cause local pollution. The greenhouse gas thing is up for debate. Um, but you know, un- under any circumstance, there probably are cleaner options than hydrocarbons and I'm all for it, but it's gotta be viable and it's gotta be profitable. And the current models of quote unquote renewable energy that are being widespread and used just simply aren't. And what BlackRock did was they went ahead and created these ESG investments and they went extremely heavily weighted BlackRock and a few others. Right. And what they did was these pensions, they actually placed what effectively are a toxic investment inside of a pension fund. And then to when everything started to fall apart, they went ahead and started uh, amplifying whatever was somewhat reasonable under low interest rate scenario. They amplified it with leverage at 7x. So during a low interest rate situation, when you can kind of prop up these investments, then okay, you can you can see a return because you're just cramming money into them, not because they're performing, not because the market likes it, but because the Davos crowd has control over the banks that can cram money into these companies to keep the stock price going up. And so when that happens, those are used as collateral for the bonds, for the paper that are actually funding these pensions. But guess what happened? The interest rates went up. And when interest rates go up, money becomes more expensive. And when money becomes more expensive, it becomes pretty much either a zero sum or a negative game artificially cram money into projects that have very bad fundamentals as compared to their competitors. And what's a double whammy here is that this is the energy market that you're messing with. And in an economic scenario where there's production and consumption and so on and so forth, energy is the primary input for everything, right? Mm -hmm. It's gas in your car, it's electricity for the factory, it's you name it, energy is the primary input it's the primary input put for all the other inputs. So when you hike up energy, you're screwing everybody. Yeah. So this is leading into why we saw the crack at the Bank of England and why after all this lip service of we're going to tighten up and we're going to kill, you know, we're going to make sure the uh, inflation doesn't happen and all that. And they ended up having to, to go ahead and reverse that. 
after some very strong language, they went back to quantitative easing. Yeah. So, you know, that's, and, and here's what's going on. And just these three quick headlines, I'm not going to even go into them, but this one here that I have up on the screen, the fed is now paying 500 million to a handful of banks every day. It suddenly has a very big problem. So 500 million a day, that's a billion every other day uh, times a hundred. That's a hundred billion a year. And that's just right now. That's, that's before what, I mean, I thought we were That's on top. Okay. That's on top of everything else that they're doing. That's on top of quantitative easing. That's on top of buying mortgage backed securities from these banks. Oh, no, That's no, no. T- We're in quantitative tightening, V. We're not. Oh, We're not. right. I'm so yeah. sorry. It never Yeah, stopped. what are we talking about? Right, the TARP program. That never stopped either. And neither nope. did Twist or, or Zerp or, or, or anything like that. None, none of these things has stopped. You know, it's, it's, it's totally fine. Zerp is about the only thing that did stop that, you know, the interest rate policy. But that's it, coming but, back. Know, it's, well, that's here's, coming and this back is, with, on steroids. The, the, okay, so now what what V and V, you're going to have to wrap this up for me because I'm going to like lay out the technical aspect and maybe everybody, I'm going to ask you to bear with me like we did last week. Please don't fall asleep. I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible. But yes, it's going to come back on steroids. And the reason in like to keep it really simple is that they push the rates up now. International markets are starting to rattle. You're seeing what happened in England. It's going to happen over at the ECB, probably. Um, you know, Japan already, you know, they, they were the first to intervene. China's having trouble because they actually have to put together money to prop up their their uh, their real estate market. So they've had some issues with that. Although, you know, I'm not that familiar with China debt. I am told that their debt is relatively self-contained. But you know what? I also understand that China's market is pretty dependent on a healthy dollar and on, well, on cheap money from the U.S. as well, because they are interconnected financially. So you're seeing that a huge percentage of the private central banks, two out of five have already reverted to quantitative easing after all of that talk. ECB is most likely next. China is printing money and propping up stuff already. So from a technical standpoint, they're already easing. And in fact, I think they were messing with their rates recently. So four out of five, you know, three out of five certainly are doing something. And the ECB is, is an interesting look, right? So Europe is uh, a, a little different from the United States when it comes to their financial system because they're not politically linked on paper, right? It's a financial system. So basically everything is being more or less pegged to the Bund from the Bundesbank. So if the German Bund goes into trouble, then everything else takes a fat dump, right? When German cars and everything become too expensive to produce, they're going to have to start buying their cars from America or elsewhere. The problem with that is that the reason that the cars are affordable over there is because their system hasn't fallen apart yet. So they can use their own kind of financial equalization, if you will, to produce vehicles and and products and food and everything else that the Europeans can still kind of afford. But here's the problem. The German powerhouse of manufacturing is reliant on cheap Russian energy. And guess what is not flowing to Germany anymore? That's cheap Russian energy. But they, so, they don't need that, though. They have a lot of hot air that's uh, uh, coming out of Brussels, and that's sufficient enough to drive the wind turbines. 
Right. And yet we're giving them money. Um, so look at this. Funding panic imminent. This is another article on Zero Hedge from a few days ago that I saved for today's show. Fed quietly sends $3.1 billion to Switzerland via swap line. Yep. So the Fed is essentially foreshadowing. You know, it's funny you should bring that up. I just, I just got off the phone with a bloody Swiss bank. Jesus Christ, what a hot mess. But go ahead. No, well, and this might be something that, you know, we might take a break from what I'm telling everybody to, to have you elaborate on that, if you don't mind. But mm -hmm. let me say first, what we're seeing, and, and this is my opinion, right? The European situation, their their whole economy is based on the German economy strength, Correct. which relies on cheap Russian energy. Now, Arthur Hayes says it really well, and he, this is a great article from him called Contagion, and it just came out recently. And this is what he writes. I'm just going to read it from him. Economically speaking, this is, I'm starting now. Economically speaking, the only two countries that matter in the EU are France and Germany. That's the EU. France and Germany are the only two countries that matter. The entire goal of modern European history has been preventing Germany and Russia from joining forces, uh, which is what Matthew Arad has been telling us for a long time. Correct. The manufacturing prowess of the Germans combined with cheap Russian commodities could be a game-changing force from a geopolitical point of view. The EU, is an, uh, the EU is an artifice, a political ploy of France to keep Germany down, which the Germans only went along with due to their guilt over World War II. The U.S. shares France's interests, and it too lurks in the shadows, standing ready to prevent any real alliance between Germany and Russia. A weak EU serves the political interest of America quite well. The Eurasian landmass must be prevented from unifying at all costs. As And I'll, I'll finish this bit here. Um, as with everything in life, unpacking the energy policy of Germany is the best means through which to understand why the German economy is fundamentally effed. Uh, he spells the word out, as well as why that spells doom for the broader EU. Germany, the EU's only real economic engine, is being rendered impotent due to a lack of affordable energy. And as a result, a depression looms over the EU. Amidst this economic malaise, the union, quote unquote, that is, serious, uh, that is at serious risk of splintering. In order for the ECB to keep the EU intact, it will likely have to ditch any plans to shrink its balance sheet and quickly move to outright YCC, which is yield curve control, mm -hmm. in order to save the, the unholy political union that is the EU. And then he goes on to talk about uh, one of the few things that he gives France credit for is they went all in on nuclear energy. So like 70% of the energy comes from nuclear power. Yeah. So they're not reliant on energy from anywhere else. And yet, you know, nuclear is bad. So anyway, this is... I don't need to really say much after that. Um, you know, it's pretty clear what the problem is. Now, V, what did you hear from this uh, this Swiss bank? What What are you hearing? You know, well, from, I mean, what's going on? Live, live information from somebody who's in the trenches. I want to hear it. It's astounding. There's one of the things that's happening right now within the market is like you know, for our our business operations, we are looking at uh, you know, we're, we're there's a few Swiss banks that we've already spoken to. And it's incredible how in the last several months, many of them have jacked up their fees to astronomical levels. I mean, they have right now account setup fees of, of twelve dollars and $15,000 just to set up the account. Monthly maintenance fees of $2,500 a month. Okay. And then uh, uh, um, um, transaction frequency fees of you need to make at least 1,500 transactions per month and things of that sort. And I'm like, and I'm astounded. 
all of a sudden that all of a sudden that all these fees are coming in is because these banks are running in a very, very insolvent book. Okay. A lot people don't realize how debt addled many of these European central bank um, European banks are. And so what like the you know control the the you know, yield curve control that are you know that cowboy just talked about when he was reading um, Arthur Hayes' article. What does that mean? Well, it means that the only thing that's going to be left for them to do is they're going to be doing exactly what was originally beta tested with the BOJ, and then the Swiss Central Bank also did the same thing. Okay, which is buying equities. And and propping up markets, buying equities, prop up markets. And this is also signaling to all of us that come into the new year, the rate cutting is going to start. The, I, I think, you know, and I'm feeling and what it's looking like right now, Cowboy, is going to be some chaos and some shakiness between now until the end of November. You know, and then I think that the like we said several times before that they have nothing left to do. They have to let the they're they're contracting and they're and they're tightening is 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 creating all sorts of problems, right? Like look, look, look at how, that article, 500 million a day to certain banks, right? What's also is that just in the last I think in the last day or so, the Fed did like another, you know, 3.1 trillion in in the in the Fed window just to keep their you know, repurchase order markets going. Right. So this is creating so much pressure, so much pressure on the back end, economically speaking, that the only way forward with Cowboy is something that you and I have talked about for quite some time now. They have to bring in the cheap money. And, and this is the last hurrah. After that, no one knows. We're in uncharted territory here, folks. After that second, after that one last spigot has turned out, to full max, we're in uncharted territory at that point. And that's oh, yeah, when the sure. equities are going to absolutely start. You're going to have stagflation. You're going to have, like, you know, job growth is going to be dismal. Money velocity is going to be dismal. 40,000 point down. Here we come. You know, well, you, you can tell that the, uh, the current banking system is falling apart when you see the amount of fee income being relied on because yeah. they can't get yield anywhere. No, so and then look what's happening with the housing markets here. Housing markets are are, are are starting to collapse here. Housing prices are down across the entire country. Okay, and some markets more than the others. They're gonna they're going to cut rates. They're going to cut. This is the only trick they got left. Okay, let's cut the rates. Let's create artificial demand and let, let, let's drive up the markets again. Let's let's crank up the housing markets again. Why? Because the most important thing is 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 is, is pumping. The mortgage-backed securities and all its various derivatives. Let's get this going again, and and man, it's 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 going to be unbelievable, cowboy. Oh yeah, well, and so and this is what we've been talking about for some time, and also with this, you know, lending money to European banks. Um, I think that is the beginning of the end of the euro. If they can't operate, then it's going to be the U.S. dollar that props everything up, as it probably has been doing the whole time. But now it's going to be overt. And I think that's where the amoeba um, goes ahead and kind of takes ownership. ECB just becomes maybe even more of a vassal bank to the Fed than it is now. And essentially, the, the, the euro, if it still exists in 10 years, will probably just be, you know, in name only. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so what we're talking about is, yeah, we've been saying it. Um, we're looking at quantitative easing versus yield curve control. So we want to talk probably first about what are bond yields, right? So sovereign bond yield, to make this simple, to go back to basics, let me go ahead and, and uh, zoom in so people can read what I have on the screen. Yep. Okay, so a sovereign bond yield is an interest rate paid to the buyer of the bond by the government or sovereign entity issuing that debt instrument. So um, let's say that uh, you buy like a, a, t a 10 year, right? And that bond matures. Let's just say you do, a, I don't know, $1,000 worth, right? Well, in 10 years, that bond that you paid whatever 10% of or whatever the amount is, it matures, it becomes worth $100 in 10 years. Now that's just numbers I'm making up. I'm not saying that's what the numbers are, but that's just the concept. So the sovereign bond yield, because we've been talking about yields, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about yields because yield curve control is what happened in that article. Yield curve control is what V just kind of mentioned a bit. And it's going to be the next model. It's going to be the next, um, the, the evolution of quantitative easing. Right. So sovereign bond yield is the interest rate paid to the buyer of the bond by the government or sovereign entity issuing that debt instrument. Um, so they're considered risk-free assets. I don't like that term at all. Neither does Investopedia. They actually, you know, kind of, they say further down the way, hey, there's no such thing as, yield, as uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Risk-free. So to give them the credit that's due. Now, what is quantitative easing? Quantitative easing is a form of monetary policy used by central banks to increase the domestic money supply and spur economic activity. In quantitative easing, the central bank purchases government bonds and other financial <laughs> instruments such as mortgage-backed securities, aka TARP that we just talked about from 2009, uh, TARP, TWIST, all these weird dumb names uh, <laughs> that, are, that are sold to the public to make the government look like they're doing something. Quantitative easing is typically implemented when interest rates are near zero and economic growth is stalled. Okay, so quantitative easing, money printing, is going to happen once the rates are cut back down, if not sooner. It's already happening, but I think they're going to go ahead and, and ramp that up once things get down to zero because it is cheaper to yep. do when the rate is low. Um, so uh, it's the you know more of a United States thing. It's everywhere, but... A, you know, Japan uh, and some of these other countries, Japan's already been doing yield curve control. Um, so what's the yield curve? I'm going to, I got to really zoom this one in. Um, so the yield curve is basically the comparison of yields between two separate sovereign bonds. Um, see, I have to actually look on the, yeah, sure. I use uh, Brave so I can accept all the cookies I want. And it doesn't matter because Brave doesn't give out cookies. So screw you. What, what kind of cookies um, are they though? I like cookies. No, I like chocolate chips are my favorite. <laughs> oh, no. Dude, I had one. Uh, th there's this place called Chip, C-H-I-P. And uh, they have this, th their original cookies great. And you get it like warm. But they have this Reese's Pieces one where it's like mm. a chocolate cookie with Reese's Pieces instead of chocolate kit, cho chocolate nice. chips. And I give myself diabetes damn. with that. that. Sounds good. Stupid good. Um, so... There is a positive yield curve, there's a flat yield curve, and there's an inverted yield curve, okay? So yield curves, let's see here. Let's go back to this one here. A yield curve is a line that plots the yields, basically interest rates that we just talked about. 
of bonds having equal credit quality but different maturity dates. So basically, it's like the same, you know, it's like a US five year versus a yeah. US 10 year, right? So if you buy a US five year bond, generally the 10 year bond is going to have a higher yield than a five year bond, right? So there are three main types here it says normal, upward sloping, inverted, downward sloping, and flat. Uh, let's see here. The, let's see. Okay. So the upward sloping is a normal yield curve, also known, or uh, it's where longer term bonds have higher yields than short term ones. And to say that in layman's terms, what it's saying is that people have more confidence that their 10 year is going to mature than their five year. And that is normal. Now, when the economic outlook becomes very bleak, and people have less confidence in like the 10 year saying that in 10 years, things are going to suck. They're going to actually start being interested in the five year because they'll get their money sooner. So when you're at the casino and you think you're going to lose, you stop playing mm -hmm. or you play for a shorter amount of time. So you play for five years instead of 10. So normal curves, whether it's upward sloping, where the 10 year has a higher yield, say than the five year, points to economic expansion downward sloping where say the 10-year yield is lower than the five-year that's called inverted they point to economic recession so now to look at the live data here or at least recent data you have a 10-year treasury rate which the 10x bond is what like basically everybody buys around the world it's it's basically what is the dollar around the world they call it the dollar it's really the 10x bond it's at currently 3.9 percent right and then you have the 20-year at 4.18. That's actually pretty normal. But the five-year is actually higher than the 10-year, which is a little concerning. <coughs> yeah. 4.12 versus 3.91, right? So there is a little bit of shakiness in our economy. But we're the U.S. So, again, our energy policy and the fact that we have the reserve currency, probably more these days to do with energy policy. Our yield is, it's inverted in some sense, just depends on whether you're looking at the 20 versus the 10 and the five versus the 10. So what's yield curve control? Okay, there is a bit of uh, distinction to be made between quantitative easing and yield curve control. So how YCC, well, let's just talk about what YCC is, yield curve control. It targets specific long-term rate levels. Okay, so what it does is yield curve control is going to make sure via buying bonds that the yields of the 10 year are going to exceed the yields of the five year or the yields of the yields of the 20 will exceed the years of the 10. This is going to, from a top down perspective, force what looks like a, uh, a positive outlook on the economy, right? Because if the five year is yield is better than the 10 year, it looks like you're going into recession. So what they're doing is they're basically taking corpses and yep. tying strings to them and making them look like they're alive. They're, they're making everything look as if they're going to target the long-term bonds to make sure that those yields stay higher than the short term. And they're going to do it through bond purchases. Now, quantitative easing, they'll actually purchase, uh, they'll inject liquidity in the financial system through massive purchases of bonds on the open market. They also buy, uh, well, they, they'll buy equities. They'll, you know, more like securities. They'll buy, not, not you know, securities, mortgage-backed securities is an example. Yield curve control is pretty much 
targeted directly at bonds, but it's going to end up doing the same thing because that money is going to end up flowing into the same securities either way. So it's basically quantitative easing, just a bit of um, a, a different version of it. Now, we've known that Japan has been like infinite QE since their economy freaked out, I don't know, 20 years ago. And the Bank of Japan in late 16 shifted to yield curve control. And if you want to see what's going to happen with all fiat currencies in the future, just look to Japan because Japan has been the most hardcore in keeping their zombie situation alive. Um, so, you know, that is pretty much the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about. So now what I'm interested in hearing is, you know, oh, and by the way, um, we'll talk briefly about uh, before I have V kind of tie this all up for us. Um, we'll talk about the PPI and the CPI. PPI is basically producer price index. So this is uh, your producers of goods and whether or not they're seeing inflation and they are. Uh, they still had a hot print. Um, I'm going to bring out today's data because the CPI is really the hot, hot ticket, right? If you have a hot CPI print, if, if conduce, uh, if conducer, wow, if consumer price inflation comes out high, right? Consumer price inflation excludes certain things, but it's basically what all of us are buying, right? Uh, food, you know, rent, whatever. Um, although like, again, there are some things excluded, but that's the basic idea right here from 2021 and forward. You're seeing this higher month over month. Look now, this is concerning. You're seeing like 0 0.4, 0 0.5 to the right. That's because it's the change every month. So nearly every month and, and just a eyeball average, we're looking at a 1% increase on average month over month since like 2021 and really since halfway through 2020. So, you know, we're sitting at like, I don't know, I think year over year, I can tell you what it is. It's right here. It's 8.2% year over year. Now, that means like, okay, a year ago, it's actually 8% higher just a year ago. So a year before that, was it higher? A year before that, was it? This compounds. This isn't like we're at 8.2% like historically. We're seeing a compounding rate of increase of our goods, which is why you're really seeing like 20%, 30% in a lot of areas. Um, the recent drop off here though, is, is like, we are seeing a decrease in the CPI this last two or three months, not these crazy one and a half, but closer to like a zero or a one or, or a half. So the, uh, acceleration is slowing down. We're still inflating, but we're inflating more slowly. It's more of a first order derivative. Um, so all of that to say that it's going to shape into an excuse to go ahead and start the printing of money again. Um, so that's a lot that I just gave everybody a lot of data. Um, it, this is nuts and bolts. You really, you know, I, I went basic. I wanted people to understand these terms, guilds, yields, yield curve control, um, because you see this stuff and you read it and you don't know what it means. And so everything else sounds, you know, Greek. Um, so with this basic info, if it's really something you want to know, you can go through the, this show again, or, and you can look at Investopedia to ask those questions. Um, so I'll currently, I'll yield the floor as, uh, Velas would say over to V and CJ to hear your comments on today's data and the trends. Yeah. Siege, you want to, you want to comment? Yeah. Great. Great stuff from breaking that down. It helped tremendously, uh, Cowboy. And I know for the Discord, they had been asking for it as well. We began the conversation 
a couple weeks ago. So yeah, so it it, it perfectly makes sense. Uh, the analysis, the data that we've been reviewing and and uh, Cowboys been presenting here has been uh, spot on. Spot on. So it's it's very interesting to see. I know there is kind of a crazy speculation. I've heard this come from a couple two different commentators, uh, reputable commentators, that they were. The U.S. is purposely looking at deindustrializing Germany and bringing that manufacturing to the United States, which I, I I don't see it. I could be completely wrong on that. I just I just don't see how that's feasible in the environment of the United States with reduced energy and everything. I think they're just completely out to deindustrialize uh, Germany and, and bankrupt them. So. Yeah, you, you, you see, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is what I want to clear up real quick. When every time you hear some some people out there, and this is why exactly CJ nailed it. It doesn't make any sense to him, and I, and and CJ's right. The reason for that is this. When everybody, when you are out there, folks, you hear, oh, they're screwing over Europe in order to get manufacturing back in the United States. Understand this, okay? They have, what kind of economy do we have? We have a fire economy. What's the fire economy? Finance, insurance, real estate. Does the fire economy benefit from a manufacturing base? The answer is no. The fire economy's only benefit is a service-based economy benefits the fire economy because the fire economy is a is a parasitic vampiric or vampiric drain on the real economy so what this is about it's about capital flight okay it's pretty interesting like yesterday and i you know me being a car guy yesterday bmw released their new m2 i'm a huge m car fan have been for many years owned several bmw m models and the M2, guess where it's being produced, man? This is the first time, Cowboy, that a M product, a BMW M product from BMW's M division, the real M division, not the M240s or the 340s, but I'm talking about the M2s, M3s, M4s, M5s. It's the first time an M product is being produced in Mexico. <laughs> wow. They're making it in Mexico and then shipping it into the United States. First time ever to handle the North American demand. So when you're hearing about, oh, yeah, we're going to bring. No, this is to kill capital in Europe to bring capital or that liquidity into the insolvent banks in the United States. Because what do the insolvent banks have right now? Right? They, what are the banks facing in the United States? I've said this for years. We're in a solvency crisis and have been for since 2008. Now that liquidity is running out, they are bringing that liquidity here. Why? In order to keep the churn going, in order to keep the derivative markets running, in order to keep the speculative markets going, in order to keep the fire economy burning. That's what it goes down to. It has nothing to do with manufacturing power or your manufacturing base. They have no desire for bringing any sort of manufacturing here. This is why it's going to take Intel 11 years to build a factory. Because they can't do it. But in the interim, all the money and this, that, fees, and build out here and loans here and Intel submitting a, a white paper so they can start building 86 architecture chips here, risk architecture chips here, and ARM architecture chips here, is going to, it's going to, it's going to attract what? Investors. Investors who what? pump Intel's stocks and AMD stocks and other kind of chip manufacturers in the quote-unquote tech sector. So what? So the freaking banks can make the money on the churn. There's nothing. We will get nothing. Okay? 
and what we're heading towards right is to kill the the, the physical production in your and this is why the the uh, the uh, the German chancellor the, the current idiot in charge he's like yeah we will have to shift to a service based economy and the Germans are like what the hell a service based economy you're talking about an industrial powerhouse, and you know one of the things that uh, Cowboy was quoting today was the Arthur Hayes article. One of the things that Arthur forgets to mention: guess who's the number one holder of French debt? Germany. Germany. Oh wow! <laughs> Germany is the largest holder of French debt. Oh yeah. So this is going to be an interesting mix that we're heading into, and again, it's about squeezing capital in Europe taking it out of there, bring it into U.S. banks, which will never see the light of Main Street, and then churning the shit out of it in the, in the derivative market and in the equities market, and then giving you all the illusion that come January of 2023, things are starting to turn. There are green shoots appearing. America is starting to come back. And then in 2024, you'll have a, a Republican administration in there, Wash, rinse, repeat. You're going to have the illusion of the economy's booming. The gas prices are going to start coming down. They're, there's, they're going to start you know, uncorking uh, uh, a lot of the energy production here in the United States. They're going to start doing it. How do I know that? Fucking J.P. Morgan talked about it. Well, see, if they're going to uncork the energy production in the United States, then that's actually one of the few things they can do to keep things running. Um, you know, the Arthur Hayes's article did mention how France is like 70% nuclear. We have Bill Gates who wants to build uh, modular nuclear plants. So I get the feeling that the green light might be given. And conversely, this is arguably why the Green Party was given so much money to uh, take over Germany or at least gain so much uh, power in Germany so that they could prevent Germany from building nuclear plants. And you know what? I don't know what it is. And I'm just going to say it. It seems to me that the German people are just so compliant with their government. They are being cocked, bro. It's, I don't, I don't get it. Cause I know German people. I love German people. Like I love very, Germany, man. I am a smart. big fan of everything. Germany. Yeah, dude, seriously, they make good stuff. They're smart people. They have they're they're actually really funny. Like when you get to understand their dry wit, you know, they have like a you know, at least my buddies that are from Germany. I I at one point wanted to live there, and I'm just really glad that I've not left the United States to live in Europe like I wanted to. One of my bucket lists is to drive the Nurburgring. That is my bucket before I die is to get into like a 911 GT3. And drive the Nurburgring. That's the- my bucket list. Then I could, then I could go. I can, you know, slip into eternity in peace. But that's that's my bucket list, man. That's Germany's a great amazing. bucket list. Hell yeah, it's be- it's beautiful. There's just uh, it's a great place. But there's if you know if they would just tell certain people to f off and build some nuclear plants over there. The same thing here. It's just life would be a lot easier. It would and be, man. The, you know, they've got now the uh, thorium salt reactors, breeder reactors, um, you know, and I'm not a nuclear expert by any means. But, you know, what I am reading is that a lot of these I mean, look, people say, oh, they're scared of nuclear. Um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Celeste, I love how direct the German people are. Um, but w- when it comes to the nuclear issue, people are scared of it. But like all of these accidents have happened at plants that are like older than us. Like they're, you know, they're even yeah. older than CJ. Good God. Hey, C- CJ's <laughs> not that old. They're old as dirt. They're old as dirt. 
<laughs> yeah, they're so they're they're so old they fart dust. So it's just it's one of those like you know things where the the tech has been improved, and the only place I know of that's actually doing any the only country is doing any work with these new reactors. Take a guess what country is actually moving forward. Uh, will that be uh, Somalia? Yes, it is Somalia. We are going to build the new reactor here. This this is what we are going to do. No, we are going good, to build dude. it. We do not care what everybody is going to say to us. We build it. I love it. That's a good one. I think Greta's even out there advocating for more nuclear. Yeah. Yeah, Greta Thunberg. She's yeah. the most Which brilliant is... mind in all of Western political arenas, Greta Thunberg. See, I, I saw a meme. Hold on. I got to see if I can find it. I think it. she Give finally woke up and realized that one plus one doesn't equal three. She's a oh, It took a few years, but she got it. How dare you? Well, their their family has so much money. Like, they have a picture of Greta with her mom, like, a few years ago, sitting in these chairs. The chairs are, like, these crappy-looking office chairs worth, like, $1,000 or more each. They, you know, I don't know where they got their money. Um, oh, Tun- they... uh, Tunbug? Yeah. Probably, probably from from her. I mean, I imagine they the globalist pipe paid her quite a bit of money. To... She is the globalists enjoy using mental retards and people that are nope. mentally deficient or incapa- incapacitated. Hence, our current president and that that other idiot who who's like on his way to becoming Stephen Hawking's. What's his name? The guy in Pennsylvania, Fetter Fetterman, John yeah. Fetterman, whatever his name is. Yeah, running for senate in, P- in Pennsylvania. The guy's on his way to becoming the next Stephen Hawkins. He's already communicating. With like uh, uh with a, with a computer screen at this point. Nice. So you guys, uh, you know the whole like joke right now with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio won't date a girl under twenty five. It's like just a, a joke you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I just put a picture up on the oh, share shit. screen. No. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> oh god. It's a perfect you match. Yeah. You know you were thinking it. How dare you, Leo? How dare you? Maybe they could redo the scene on the Titanic together. Oh, that'd be great. No, they should do that on on, <laughs> on a like a nuclear power plant with the the uh, the, uh, the the core reactor open, and hopefully they fall into it. No, no, yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking to redo it, but underwater, like you know, at the bottom of the ocean, both of them. Yeah, like <laughs> without scuba suits. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the West says. I, I, I ask a dingbat, sixteen or seventeen or whatever, eighteen year old. Um, about the uh, the economy, it's just it's just so ridiculous. It's freaking retarded. Yeah. But this is this is what's happening here, you know. So, you know, they're gonna come twenty twenty three. Equities are gonna start taking off. Cryptos. Look, there's a lot of re- if you're if you're wondering why cryptos has been range locked for months now. Like I mentioned, like Cowboy mentioned, we even talked about this months ago. It's gonna be range locked. Here it is. Oh, here, speaking of that, uh, yeah. I'm bringing up the screen. Back to Arthur Hayes' article with regard to crypto and just one of the ways that it could go up, right? Like, So gold is gold. This is how he kind of writes it in his article, right? Mm-hmm. Gold is gold no matter where you are in the world. A brick of gold is a brick of gold. Uh, a Satoshi is a Satoshi no matter what, right? Mm. These aren't things that you can inflate really. So what I what I brought up on the screen here, and I'll just I'll read it out, but it's easier if you, if you actually screen share it so people can see it. It's an arbitrage. Is that it? It's an arbitrage. Oh, wait, it went away. Um, So this is how Bitcoin could easily go up, even in the event of, you know, all the rest of the issues. This is just one way, and it's 
through arbitrage. So a USD-based investor notices the high price of Bitcoin in, European, in Euro terms. This investor borrow, borrows dollars, then sells it for Bitcoin, uses dollars to buy Bitcoin, but essentially, you know, that's that. Then they sell the Bitcoin to buy the Euros. Then they sell the Euro to buy the dollar. Then the investor pays back the dollar loan and the remainder is their profit. So essentially, because of this expansion, well, let's just say a contraction in the euro or you know, a compression of that price in terms of Bitcoin, money will flow through this triangular arbitrage method. And it's just one way, without even talking about inflation, uh, broader inflation, without talking about uh, you know, all the problems of fiat money, that's just one simple way that Bitcoin could, could go, if, not, if for no other reason just this massive arbitrage opportunity. So, you know, and again, it's arbitrage is another great thing to look up and how that works. I made most of my money on arbitrage when I started in crypto um, that I made my nest egg on, you know, I actually made, I, I found a PPT because of cliff high talked about this populist token and it ended up being trash. Although it did have a lot of promise as many things did back then in 2017. And I went to a place called Ether Delta. The real heads out there know Ether Delta. Yep. And it's, it, it basically is an on-chain, off-chain, um, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's a blockchain exchange. And the user interface is like, it's like looking at MS-DOS. And again, the real heads know what MS-DOS is. I used to know how to operate it way back then when I turned in my Apple IIa for a 286, right? So all the nerds can laugh at that. But the way that this worked, I was able to find a 3% um, spread or better. Yep. It was an average of 3%. And it was a manual exchange. No charts, no nothing. I just saw the spread. And so I used the order book and I created, it was manually operated because I didn't, I still don't know how to code. And I want to fix that problem. But I actually uh, created an arbitrage algorithm. And uh, I was taking, I don't know, I, I didn't even know what I was doing. You know, I just, I, I was just peeling into this stuff because I got the bug for crypto and I got the bug for trading. And I remember my money doubled in like a week and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so um, I kept doing that. And then uh, crypto kitties killed it. It ruined the Ethereum blockchain for a while. So that opportunity went away, but I turned. Hey man, uh, I, I was heavy into crypto kitties. Oh, I bet you were. Hey. Yeah. You, you love that crypto kitties. Hey man. So, but you know, these are the kind of things like, I mean, look, I didn't, I didn't know what an order book was. Yeah, sure. I traded silver on margin, but I did it on paper. Uh, you know, I wasn't really looking at the charts. I remember back in like 2010 when I was doing silver trading through my family's company, I was looking at the charts and I'm like, man, there's gotta be a way to predict that is this going to go up or it's going to go down. I gotta be able to just find a way to do this. And then through a very long story later, that's what I ended up doing. So, you know, if anybody really wants to learn how to trade or learn how to build a simple algorithm or anything like that, you know, I can put you on the path. Just hit me up in Discord. Um, guys, how do we find the Discord again, VCJ? There, there's this guy who's uh, his real name is JFK Jr., but you can email him directly at CJ at roguenews.com. CJ at roguenews.com. And uh, he will send you the link. But he's really JFK Jr. Right, Teach? That's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, wrapping it up, man, I think, um, 
you know, going into this year, just, you know, get yourself ready. The the biggest lie ever sold is about to be sold to all of us, saying that the economy's back, everything's great, and Dow 40,000, here we come. Um, it's going to be interesting how uh, they're going to manage inflation by printing the hell out of it, and then all they're going to do is just, you know, forestall the events that when this thing finally pops, uh, which it will pop in the next three to five years, if that, um, if not sooner, then you know what? It's going to be a thousand times worse. Because look, we're, we're, there are things in play, folks. There are certain genies that are out of the bottle that are never coming back in. The multipolar world—that's not—that's not going to be put back into the bottle. The death of the dollar, the the loss of world reserve currency status—that's not going to get put back into the bottle, right? The entire reordering of the uh, of, of global commerce—that's not getting put back into the into the bottle, okay? There are things at play that are unstoppable, and it's going to play out. The only thing that the central bankers in the Western countries can do is mitigate it via a, a, a play of print and contract. Print and contract. They've been contracting. Now they're going to print to oblivion, and we are on the last game. Cowboy, closing comments. Um, so my closing comment is, what and I'm going to ask you guys name three types of either an asset or other form of economic activity that you guys would choose in the next few years of all this turmoil. Like, what would you guys do, or where what would you do to make money besides OnlyFans, CJ? And what would you, uh, where would you put your money to try to speculate in the next like you know two or three years? Where would I go? I'd go straight up, man. I'd do uh, cryptos. I would do metals. I would do, uh, believe it or not, fucking real estate. That's where I would go. And, and I'd say CJ? real estate, not like buying. Pro- like if you can get into, some, you know, it, maybe some like short term. Like flips. a real estate investment trust. Yeah, something like, something like that. You know, where you can flip, you can make some money. Uh, if the trust is, you know, like an investment trust that can, you know, generate some income. I would do something like that. Uh, private equity is another thing. Uh, then, of course, trading. I fucking learn how to trade. It's it's everybody's going to look like a genius uh, going into going into twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. You know, blindfold yourself, throw it at a at a stock pick. You're not going to do wrong. You know. Yeah, monkey with the dartboard. Yeah. Yeah, you want to learn how to trade? I mean, grab a hold of Cowboy. He's he, he's lurking in the in the discords, and he's one of the best technical traders I know. So appreciate the compliment. I actually yeah. have my own Discord, and pre- people go on; they're interested, but nobody follows through. Um, so I'm there if anybody is really that interested. You, you in know trading, what we're gonna have I'm to do, there. Cowboy? You and I are gonna create something where 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 we have to relaunch something. Um, that is gonna help people take advantage of what's going what's coming down in 2023. You know, we'll Definitely. figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Let me let me just I'll, I'll do this quick uh, screen share so you guys can see, um, you know, the algorithm that I've built because I know we had another guy. Algorithms are racist. They're racist. They are definitely racist. Where the hell is StreamYard? Damn it. I had it up. Somehow I've lost StreamYard. Where are you? Hmm. Let's get show everybody the algo. Is, That's all right. Did you minimize? So huh. I can always just. Oh, you know what? I wonder if it's um here it is. Okay, so yeah. I'll do this real quick. What you're seeing now is the algorithm that I built. And there's a lot of gobbledygook on there. 
Um, the bottom half, I use about 30% of it. So that's, a, but I leave the indicators up because um, that's a long story why I do, but this is it. I mean, and what you're seeing here is sectioned out. I know there looks like five different charts. It's actually one chart. What I've done is I do a multi-time frame analysis. So on the far right, you're looking at uh, a one-month chart. And here um, on the fourth chart over is the five-day chart. And so what I do is these are actually penny stocks. Penny stocks, they move just like crypto used to move in, say, like early 2020, um, mid 2020 and just like crypto used to move in 2017. So, uh, you know, penny stocks are a great way to look, but you know, that's, uh, you know, I'm the crypto cowboy. I don't really talk about penny stocks or how to do it, but the algo is the same, no matter what asset you're looking at. So I've spent years building this, refining it, changing it. Um, you know, it, it pays the bills. So, yeah. you know, this is just, that's an algorithm. It's simple. I don't auto trade. It doesn't trade for me. I don't, I, I didn't program it that way. But, you know, I've seen other people uh, on this channel talk about their algorithms and whether or not they work. And, you know, algorithm is like this complex term. It's, it's not that complex. It's just when A, B and C line up, you do X, Y and Z. That's all. That's it. Yeah. I, the, just the last thing, too, real quick. I think it's important to start exploring all different types of means of, of hedging against this inflation uh, that's coming at us. And it's, it's, you know, double digits, whether it's energy uh, whether it's housing, numerous sectors, right? You know, food, produce. So I would start just evaluating that within your own household. You know, I'm not going to turn on my furnace probably till January or at least to until the wife shoots me. But, you know, just trying to reduce, you know, just amount of that uh, inflation and what you're exposed to with that, you know, simple things. Maybe maybe you have too many gas guzzler cars and you need to find something. I mean, if you're... Gas guzzler cars is my middle name, CJ. I'm just saying it just takes a lot to offset in terms of, of income stream when you're paying, you know, 12, 13% hedging against inflation. It's it's challenging and workers are going to be facing that reality as well. So That's why I'm warming my house by burning my own dung. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Remember that, uh, remember that gas guzzler that you sold to me, V, back in the day? Oh, that is, that is travesty, bro. It's, travesty yeah so god you know i still love that car bro like every great car yeah what, what cowboy's talking about is the e92 m3 which was produced from uh, 2008 all the way to 2013 bmw made the the, the m3 um coupe and oh my god i still this yeah, naturally aspirated engine oh. it sounded uh, what was that company that you were gonna uh you told me about that does the um exhaust upgrade it sounds like a damn f1 car what was that company? oh jesus christ uh active auto work i think it was or, or it's in auto- la and it's in the, New yeah ah oh, jesus i can't remember i think it was uh, i want to say oh army tricks i think it was army tricks and they I make that, that sounds- ridiculous titanium exhaust oh my god it sounds like uh it sounds like a, a freaking Formula One car, man. Yeah, but it's uh, you. It has a switch, so it's like not as loud. So you can like pull out of the neighborhood without pissing everybody off. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me. Let yeah, me, I was gonna I, do I'll that. Play it real quick, man. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So, yeah, I, I was driving that car for two weeks when some idiot kid t-boned me in an intersection. That was like right before Christmas, right? I think it was. It was right? on Christmas Day. Oh, dude. God, dude. I, yeah. I, I went, when you told me, I was like, oh my god. I was glad you and the missus was okay, but I was like, damn it, man. I told my wife. I was like, he just got that car. I'm like, it I saved know. Life. That car saved our life, bro. It did. That's the thing. Again, German car, bro. Yeah. This is what Cowboy's talking about. Listen to this thing. This is what I had this car. Cowboy had this car. My God. This thing is just, oh, 8,250 RPM. 8,200 RPM red line. 
on a V8. Oh, beautiful car, dude. And I had the set, I had the freaking suspension all set up. I had it good. Here we go. Listen to this. Watch. He's going to start ripping this. Ah! Oh. <laughs> dude! My hairs in the back of my neck are standing up. This is music! I like it, but what's the gas mileage? Who cares? <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It's not that. It wasn't that bad. Like if you were if you were gunning it, that's another story. But just driving around the city, you're getting like maybe 17. Yeah. You get like 21 on the highway. Yeah, 20 on the highway. Like you know, the way I was driving it, maybe a little less. Let me bring up a scene where he's actually just ripping. It's probably where is he? I'm, uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. Was it this one? Yeah, here we go. California. God, I love Southern California. That's no nothing more beautiful than Southern California. Looks like he's going. Yeah, he's up in the mountains. So. Dude, I still have Sick. those. Okay, so V and I are both like drivers. We both have driven aggressively. Oh yeah. You know, that's that's what we, you know, we both have that in our DNA. And uh, I almost got T-boned last week. I had rented a Camaro to drive back from Vegas to home. Yeah. And uh, I'm pulling out and this, you know, guy just comes, I think he was doing like 70 in the 30 or something, right? Good God. Same bro. exact scenario as when the Beamer got hit. Um I freaking dude, there was no one around. So I actually floored it and I fishtailed right into my lane. Like even if there were other cars around, it would have been a perfect, you know, like basically drift into my lane. Like I still, I haven't, I still got it, dude. I still got my skills. Hell yeah, dude. Absolutely. And for those asking, yeah, it does come in an auto, uh, which is a, a dual clutch. It's, a, it's basically it's a, a dual clutch manual. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that even the manual, it's all the same, right? Yeah. Here we go. Listen to this. This is uh, isn't this still not uh, steer by wire, right? This is actually yeah, it's hydraulic. That that steering wheel is a hydraulic steering wheel. This car is nothing but driving enjoyment and driver feedback, it, and they're going up in value. If you can find one, get one now. It's going to be a future collector. Like yeah, I still kick uh, myself in the ass, dude. I remember graduating high, uh, college in 2003, and I could have bought a 1989 BMW M3, which is the E30 platform, right? And that was the first OG M3. And I could have bought it for $14,000 back then. I What's said, no. Now? You can't touch one for less than 100 k bro. It's crazy, dude. I mean, you see them on sale for like 180 120 130 150 with like 80,000 miles on it. You so cannot touch it for less than like 150 It's like crazy, bro. I want another E92. The, the too, uh there's no twin turbos on it, so it's no, like the it's... maintenance is going to be not what it is with the yep. newer models, yep. you know? Mm. I mean, yeah, you don't have that nice flat, like, torque band. But who cares? Um, who cares? It's just, I mean, there's, I mean, the closest car that comes to this, and, and when Ford was working on the Shelby GT350, right, the GT350 Mustang, which sounds incredible, they bought the E92 M3, this M3, to benchmark this car in order to develop the Shelby GT350. 
nice. That just shows you like how good this this they'll you'll they'll never you'll never see this car again. It was the first V8 M3. It was the last v, uh you know M3 coupe because M3s today they're all sedans. M4s well, the M4. have become the just, Yeah, yeah. It's a classic that car. Classic. That M2 you put up has a nice fat back though. Like, the dude, that out. M2 is sick, man. That yeah. that 2020 or 2023 BMW M2. What? I mean, this thing is. Oh shit. This thing is gorgeous, bro. This thing yeah, is that's, absolutely just. This kind of got like stunning. that 911 where the wheels come out in the back a little. Oh bit, yeah, like look at old this. school 9. Yeah, that's beautiful, dude. Just it's very muscular, wide fenders. Uh, you know, twin turbo straight six. Oh, straight an, six. Yeah, oh, yeah. dude, the torque. Yeah. That's beautiful, it's man. Phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. I don't and know. We'll talk. Well, we'll yeah. you and I are going to collaborate. We'll put something together and maybe we'll get a couple of E92s, make sure they weren't cold weather vehicles. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, because remember, I was going to buy that other I one up in Seattle good. that was all freaking raced out, but you're like, nah, dude, you don't want a cold weather. Nah, you want a nice warm weather car like Cali, Florida. Make sure it's not flooded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah make sure the uh i think it was an issue with the uh the push rods yeah uh, yeah the, no the uh not the push rods, the the uh, um oh my god rod bearings the rod, okay the, the rod push bearings, rods are uh, for i mean these are overhead valves there's no push rods in these there's no push rod okay no. yeah that's right we're not they're in like 1980 camp. anymore right. right exactly so these are the, the the rod bearing issue which is like a 1500 fix and that's it that was the only problem it's a very reliable car i've never had any problems with, my, with any of my m cars that's the craziest thing. Like people are like, oh, BMWs, uh, I mean, is they always break? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I've had my the M3, which I've had, trouble free miles, no issues. Then I had my M5, the F10 M5, and that great car, dude. Well, I was a muscle car and a half. That thing was, you know, I had that cranked to 700 plus horsepower. Oh, um, I remember, dude. We had yeah. we had Andrew Smith in the back, like yep. losing his lunch. Yep. And that car, that M5, was produced from model year. When did they make the F10 platform? That was uh, from. Tw- that was like uh, ten years ago. No. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was uh, from twenty. Like, they made it from twenty thirteen to like twenty sixteen. I think it was. Yeah, twenty thirteen uh, to sixteen. Did you buy yours brand new? I bought mine secondhand. So, okay, okay, because yeah, because yeah, I was in that one in twenty eighteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they they made it all the way up to twenty eighteen, then they stopped. And then the and then the F ninety platform, which I have currently, I have an F ninety M five, which that thing is cranked to eight hundred plus horsepower. I want to take that up to a thousand. You mentioned that the new M threes are have a better like feedback now than the the prior model after the E ninety two, right? Yeah, the, they they've done better, but still not like the E ninety two, not like the uh, the that hydraulic steering wheel, which is which is absolutely missing. We got yeah. we got plans to make, dude. We got plans to make. That's yeah. all. Here's here's the current M four. I'm sorry. Here's, here's the current M three. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Here's the current m3 oh the competition model yeah yeah let me look at this beast man this thing bro bolt-ons with bolt-ons this car these cars are running nine seconds it's crazy quarter mile with bolt quarter mile yeah that's under three second uh under three seconds zero to 60 right yes yes it's like a tesla oh dude it's, it's a plaid killer easily except uh you don't run out of battery after doing it no you don't run out of battery and then you know this thing will keep pulling to over 200 miles an hour this is crazy. Yo, these motors, again, these motors are just insane. The amount of power you can get out of them is, is insane. It's insane. It's not It's not a joke. Look at this thing. It's crazy. But Beautiful that's the too. Oh, fucking monster, bro. Monster. I do an M3. I mean, I like, a, <clears throat> I like a coupe, but, you know, I got kids. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right, brother. Guys, thank you so much for uh, listening in and, uh, you know, bearing with us on the car talk. So hopefully you find this entertaining and enlightening. Look, cars, certain cars are investments. Air-cooled Porsche 911s and old-school BMWs. The spider, um, like the 911, I don't, I'm not a Porsche, like, forgive me for, you know, with bad nomenclature, but I want to say it was like the G3 spider. Like oh, it's, one? it was like maybe three, four hundred thousand dollars when it came out. And then even as of a couple years ago, it's over a million. Oh. Is it a G8? What do you, which, which company was that? It's Porsche. Oh, they've they've had several uh, different spider bombs. I don't I don't know which one specific. It's like a, it's a spider from like five or six years ago, and not even that long ago, and it like tripled in value. In oh, the nine one eight, yeah, the nine one eight spider, yes, it's oh, a nine one eight spider. Yeah. Okay, that's I what it like is. Five million dollars now, if you can find one. It's cra- It was only when I talked to you about it like a two years ago. It was a million one point two. Now it's like five. Another so yeah, five. a car could be an investment, but you're that's like at that point you're like an art collector. Yeah, you are. You are. If you know, and dude, if you could find, if anybody out there could find the next hot car is going to be the E thirty nine M fives, which were produced from two thousand to about two thousand and three. If you can find those, yeah, because those are going for some serious money right now, and they will, and that's considered the the most perfect car BMW ever made. Oh yeah, that's uh... (sighs) a. I'm looking at it right now. That's like, that's kind of going back a ways in yep. the uh, in the body style. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Nice, nice. All, All right, right let's, let's let's take this off. We'll chat. We can chat with cars, you know, later. Definitely. <laughs> I'm gonna go grab some lunch. You guys have a great day, folks. Thank you all for listening. And tomorrow, see, do we have Velas tomorrow? Uh, Siege, Siege is uh, Siege he's cut. Yeah. yeah. He's he's on his uh, third bottle of tequila. I think right now. I want to say that you have to ask Velas. I think he's uh, traveling right now. I don't know. Uh, if that he, means he's, he's, uh, he, he no, he just uh, he, let me let me remove CJ. No, it's just us. It's just us. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if he's doing it. I don't know if Vel's doing a show or not. But I think he's Probably. on the road. Yeah, yes, he he's traveling. He might do a show. I don't know. Anyway, folks, we'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Regardless of what happens, I'm over and out. I think a uh, a delicious something is calling me. I don't know what it is yet. I'm gonna eat oh yeah, stuff. dude! I've got some uh, some grilled Prieskovs that I'm gonna have. That's uh, some Eastern European stuff. What'd you say? Prieskovs. 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 Yes, that. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna have some of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, come good. on over, man. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> All right, buddy. God bless you, bro. Take Later, care. Bro. Cheers.